All right, we're going to jump back into our series, and this is the last installment. This is the final week of our Purpose Driven Life series. We did the 40 days thing. If you've been reading the book, it was 40, actually the new version is 42, but that still fits within a full set of weeks. So uh, if you've been reading the book with us and you got behind or whatever, please don't give up. Please don't quit. Even though we'll be done talking about it on Sundays, uh, hopefully you can still discuss it in your small group and you can still be blessed by reading that. So just keep going at whatever pace you're going. Don't feel bad about it. Uh, We just are really excited about the truth that Rick Warren unpacks, the way he says certain things, the way it challenges us as Jesus followers and the way it teaches people whether they know Jesus as their Savior or not. So keep going in the book series, in the book reading, if you've got it. We'll figure these lights out if we can. Um, yeah, we've had a lot of technical issues, and we make this happen with uh, all volunteers. So guys come to help set it up. And actually, we got... So last, last Sunday, if you were here, we were talking about serving. And ever since then, I just have so many awesome examples. Like this morning as I was walking in, this little kid says, good morning, because he beat his dad to his position, and he always helps him greet outside. Yeah, it was Sam. It was awesome. He was killing it out there. It was so good. Dad was still getting coffee or something, and he's welcoming you guys to church. So uh, right here we got dad and son. Their last name is Bulls, so they call themselves the B team, hanging out in the booth. So they're figuring out all kinds of issues to make service happen today. So thank you guys for for making us look and sound as good as we possibly can. So um, last week we were talking about serving in this series. And so if you're like, oh, I want to join a team, then just stop by the next steps table. And we would love to help you get connected and and find a place to to use your personality and your gifts to serve our church. And so, uh, but as we jump back in, let me just review. Um, Rick Warren in this book outlines the five purposes for your life that we see in scripture. And uh, here's the first four. The first one is that you're planned for God's pleasure, that we, our first purpose is to worship God and, and to love him back, to understand his love, to love him back. The second is that you're formed for God's family, that we don't just believe we belong. We don't just love Jesus, we love his church, and we're part of his church, which is why we serve and everything else. The third one is that you're created to become more and more like Jesus Christ. This is what we call the uh, process of discipleship, or the big fancy theologian term is sanctification, the process of growing to be more and more holy and like Jesus as your life continues. And so that's a huge deal in your life. And then, like we were saying last week, you're shaped to serve, that God made you exactly the way he made you, on purpose and for a purpose, and it's to use who you are, everything, your smarts, your abilities, your experiences, your background, your, your personality, your spiritual gifts, to serve, and, and he shows up in awesome ways. So hopefully you're getting a chance to do those things. I was thinking about, at Mission, we always talk about being real, real with God, real with each other, and real in the world, and you can see how these kind of flesh out the purposes for your life, that the idea of worshiping God and growing to be more, more like Christ, that's like you being real with God, coming to him, growing in him, experiencing him. The idea of uh, fellowship and, and service, like we were talking about last week, that's being real with each other, serving one another, loving one another, helping and encouraging and challenging one another. We do this on Sundays, we do this in groups, we do this in our serve teams. And then being real in the world is basically what we're talking about today as the last of those five purposes, that you are made for a mission. And we believe this is true of every human being. Some never find out. Some don't care or don't try. Um, But this is especially true of every human being who put their faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because he said, I don't just save you so you can wait till you die and go to heaven. I saved you so I can change you and bless you 
and use you. And he can use us in many ways, but one way that he wants all of his followers to be used is to help more people follow Jesus. You know, the very first time that we see in Scripture that he's calling people to follow him, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. It's a weird phrase that he said because they were fishermen professionally, and he's like, I got something way better. You're going to invest your life instead of catching fish to feed your family uh, or yourself, you know, that was their job. Then you're going to actually, I'm going to use you to catch souls for eternity. And that made sense to them. So from the very first followers, before they had a chance to follow for very long or get very good at it, he's like, I got a mission for you, and I want to use you. And every disciple is called to make more disciples. If you brought a Bible, we're going to look some really famous verses in Matthew chapter 28. And at the end, this is the, the end of Matthew's story of the account of Jesus' life and teaching. And so... Even as we celebrated communion this morning in this, we're picking up the story at the end. He lived, he grew up, he ministered to people, he did miracles, he had a following, and then he let himself be tortured and killed, and he rose from the grave, which is amazing, because these disciples that he's talking to in this passage, they watched him die. They weren't really counting on him coming back, because didn't, that didn't even make enough sense, when he, even though he told them what was going to happen, but then they get to see him again, right? And, he, and, and we're picking up the story here. And we call these verses the Great Commission because Jesus is speaking to his followers, to his disciples, and he's giving them their mission. And uh, it applies to every person for the rest of time that puts their faith in Jesus. This is not just for those 11 guys. It's for all Jesus followers. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples in Matthew chapter 28. We're going to pick up in verse 18. And Jesus says this, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Which no one's arguing that. Because they're like, yep, we, we thought you were pretty cool to begin with. We were sad when we saw you die, but we saw it with our own eyes. And now we've seen you resurrected. And he like, he shows up. He's like, go ahead, see the holes, you know, uh, check it out. It's real, it's legitimate. This is not, you're not dreaming, right? And he hung out with them for like 40 days. It wasn't like a one-time, middle-of-the-night weird. He ate with them. He, he went places. Hundreds of people saw him. They, they, they watched him die, and they saw him resurrected. So he's like, yep, I have all power and all authority in the entire universe. They're like, that, we're cool with that. That makes sense. No one else can make that claim. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, now I just want to pause. If you, if you probably know these verses, if you've come to very, church for very long, but I would expect him to, to say something different than what he says. Because if I'm Jesus and I just died in front of your eyes and I rose again and hung out and ate and traveled with you and I'd be like, all authority is mine. You know, I would be like telling you to wash my car or something, right? I would I, I'd be using that authority for my own gain. Last week we looked at how it said in John chapter 13, Jesus knew that he was sent by God and that God had given him all power. So he humbled himself and he served. It's like, not at all what I would, same thing here. He's like, all authority has been given to me, so, and I would, I would expect him to do something different, but since he understood all authority was his, he says this, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. To which Peter replied, would you please stop calling me Shirley? <laughs> That's not in your Bible, but I wrote that in my Bible. So uh, Leslie, Neil I got the Leslie Nielsen version. Um, 
No, but the, the disciples are probably like, what? Like, when he says, hey, guys, meet me on the mountain, and they show up, and he's like, listen, all authority has been given. They're like, well, that makes sense. So, and, and I think what they thought he would say is basically, so now I'm going to overthrow the Roman government, and I'm going to make things right. That's what they wanted to hear. That's probably what they expected. They were with him through all the ups and downs and him being betrayed and crucified, even though he was innocent and allowing that to happen. But now he's risen from the grave. He's declaring that everything is under his power, and they're waiting for him to be like, so now I'm going to take everybody home that believed in me. That's not what he says. I, you know, I'm going to overthrow the government finally. That's what they wanted from the Old Testament prophecies. That's what they were expecting in the first place, not a baby who would grow up and give his life forever. So they stuck with him through all this, and now that he says, all authority is mine, I think they're waiting for this powerful kingdom you know, declaration. The end is here, and that's not what he says. Instead, he says, so you guys go continue what I started. It's almost like the, the big climactic almost, and then like nothing, like they were waiting for like, we finally made it, we got to the end, right? And then he's like, so you guys just keep doing what I've been doing. Since I got all this authority, I'm going to give it to you. And it's awesome because he promises to go with them, right? He says, I am with you always. So he tells them to go make disciples. This is the call on every person who follows Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, your job, your calling, the mission God has for your life, the reason he didn't take you home yet is that you can help other people become followers of Jesus. So he says this to his first followers. He's like, since you guys are my followers, go help make more followers. Since you're my disciple, go make more. In fact, that's what the word disciple means. A disciple is someone who makes disciples. And we're not perfect to begin with, so we can't do it perfectly. But he wants to use every piece of all that we are, our personalities and everything, to be used everywhere we go. He's like, you guys continue what I started. And then he gives this mission to the church, to every believer. He says to baptize people. That's one reason why we say everyone who believes in Jesus should be baptized. Jesus started it. Jesus did it. Jesus commanded it. And he tells us to go. So if you're a Christian, you haven't been baptized yet, what are you waiting for? Come to the class next Sunday and let's get you dunked, okay? It's an awesome step of your faith and I promise everybody here will cheer for you when you do it. Uh, And he says to teach them, you know, Teach what Jesus said. If you read the rest of the New Testament's letters from Peter and Paul and James and, the, and John, these guys are writing what Jesus said. They're teaching people how to follow Jesus. And we still read those words and are taught by Jesus through those men today. And he says, and I, I promise I'll be with you. Like, you can't do this, but I can. And I'm not going to do it here physically. I'm going I'm to go back where I came from, but I'm going to let you guys keep going until I come back. Disciples are supposed to make disciples. Or the way that we've been saying it this year, kind of our theme for the year is change lives, change lives. This is Jesus' strategy for the rest of time until he comes back and ends this earth and takes the believers to heaven. He says, I want to use your life that I'm changing to affect change in other people's lives. I want to use you who believe to tell other people so that they believe. This is our theme for the year, but it's Jesus' strategy for the rest of time. Change lives, change lives. This is what you're called to. Now, some people never, ever even know that that's what they're supposed to do. Some Christians just don't do it for whatever reason. They're, they're, they're wimpy, or they're scared, or they're busy, or whatever their reason is, or they're just distracted, they forgot. You know, like, we often miss this mission, or we, we're timid from it. I want to look at what Peter says. I'll put this verse on the screen. Peter's standing there that day when Jesus says, all authority is mine, so go make more disciples. And then he's a leader of the early church. And we've got a couple letters that he wrote to other Christians. This is like if he was sending a letter to Mission Bible Church, this is what he would say. 
He's like teaching us what Jesus told him to teach us. And he says it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3, he says this, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Like that's first. First, it's all about where you're at in a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. Is he your Savior? Is he your Lord? And then he goes on, always be prepared. This is to every believer. He's not just writing to the pastor of that church. He's not just writing to like the few who graduated from some, you know, CCD class. He's writing to all Jesus followers. First, in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this in gentleness and respect. So he says, first, love God with all your heart. He heard Jesus say that. He's telling us. Then he says, tell others about Jesus. He heard Jesus say that. And he's telling us. And he says, and do it with gentleness and respect. See, a lot of times we go one of two ways. We either don't tell anyone or we tell people, but we're kind of mean about it, right? Like, you're going to hell, you know? You're a terrible person, you know? Like, no, no, no. He's like, no, we need to tell people. That's why we're still here. If God didn't want to use us, he would have taken us home. But we got to do it like in a way that the message will be received. Have you ever had to have an important conversation with someone? Maybe your spouse or your parents or your kids, you know, or a coach, and you're like, you thought about how to have that conversation? Because if you're going to talk to your coach, right, and and you say something wrong, you'll never get in the game again. So you thought about how am I going to approach this conversation? If you got a difficult conversation with your spouse, you know that if that goes poorly, it, it, it it could last for a while, right? So you thought about like, how am I going to say it? How am I, you know, when am I going to bring it up, right? Like we think about how to approach a conversation. That's all Peter's saying is we need to tell everybody about Jesus because it's the greatest news and they need him. But we should do it thoughtfully and respectfully and with gentleness so that people would want to follow Jesus because he's so good and loving, not because we beat them up with Bible verses and just told them things. But again, this is not written to just the overachievers in the church. This is written to all believers, in the, in the book, if you're reading this week with us, Day 37, Rick Warren says this, You may not be a Bible scholar, but you are the authority on your own life. And it's hard to argue with personal experience. Actually, your personal testimony is more effective than a sermon because unbelievers see pastors as professional salesmen, but they see you as a, quote, satisfied customer. So they give you more credibility. Have you ever thought about that? Sometimes we're like, oh, I just got to get you to meet my pastor. Or I got to get you to come to church so you can hear from someone professional. I'm not smart enough to help you. But I love how Rick Warren says, like, no, actually, whatever you're, if if you know enough to believe, then you know enough to help someone else believe. Just tell them what you know. Tell them your story. They can't argue with your story. You might have questions they can't answer. That's okay. Do your part, and God will show up. He said, surely, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. We live in the day of reviews, Right? We don't care about ads anymore. Print, media, social media, TV commercials, whatever it is. Uh, we see the ad and we know they're trying to sell me. They're trying to make that look good. They're trying to make that look delicious. I always laugh at the fast food commercials because even in the commercials, they can't make it look very good, right? And I'm like, that's the best they can do. I'll never go to that restaurant. It doesn't even look good when they're trying to sell it, right? And it wouldn't even look that good if I went there. It'd be, you know, the, the cheese will be off to the side because they can't even stack it straight, right? So like... We live in the day where the review is more important than the ad. You can sell me all you want, but I know you're selling me. So I'll go and I'll look at the reviews and I'll see what real people actually said. Did it work? Did they like it? Did it last? Give me some stars, right? Like, tell me about the restaurant. Tell me about their experience. Was the, was the bathroom clean? Was the, was the lady nice, right? Like, we live in the day where the reviews are more important than the ad. And I, I think he's right when he says that people know churches are trying to sell you. 
When I meet people, I'm not embarrassed about being a pastor, but I don't usually walk up and say, hey, I'm a pastor, because then they know, right? They're like, well, you're, you, you get like uh, a raise if I go to your church or something, right? Like they think I'm selling them, and I'm like, no, I really, I really am committed to this, and I want you to know the truth, but I would rather let them, like, I would rather invite them to my church and have them like, realize, oh, that guy's the guy who invited me. I didn't know he worked here, because I want them just to come because I'm a review. I'm not a pro, right? And, and, and we live in a day where the review is more important than the ad. You guys are the, the reviewers. You get to go and tell people, here's what my faith means to me. This is why I believe. This is how I've seen God work in my life. This is my story. This is, this is my personal review, okay? Um, but this is very important. Like, we're called to tell people, but we have to remember, you're not called or equipped to save anyone. You can't do it. You can't convince them. Even if they were convinced, you can't forgive them. You don't have that. You're not like Jesus who said, all authority has been given to me. He says he'll go with us, but he'll do the work. You're not called or equipped to save anyone, but you are called and equipped to tell anyone. And we just try to introduce people to Jesus and let him take it from there. We see this with the first followers. They would bring, you know, Philip goes to get Nathaniel, and he's like, you just got to come and see. I, I can't convince you, I can't save you, but he can. Just give it a try, right? Like that's all we want to do. I want to show you a couple verses in Acts chapter 20. Paul's talking about um, how he's coming to the end of his life, and he knows it. He's been following God on this mission, and, and like he's been having dreams and visions, and he knows you're going to keep going down this road, and it's going to end badly. And here's what he says in Acts chapter 20, verse 23. Paul says, I only know that in every city... The Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. This is huge. He's literally had like angels and visions saying, this is going to be terrible, Paul. Keep going. Surely I am with you always to prison and the end of time. And so he's like, I know what I'm about to go, kind of like Jesus knew. Paul had an idea from the Holy Spirit, but I love when he says, I consider my life worth nothing. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. And he says what he's about, his mission, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He's like telling somebody else about Jesus Christ is more important than how comfortable I am or whether or not I go to prison or how soon I meet my Savior, right? In fact, in another verse, he was writing a letter, people, he says, for me to live is only for Christ, and to die is gain. When I'm done here, I go home with, with my Heavenly Father to heaven. He had this incredible perspective on life. He says, my life is worth nothing, only that I do what God calls me to do, to share the good news of Jesus, to share the good news that Jesus forgives sinners. And then like a verse later in verse 26, he says, therefore, I declare to you today, that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. There's a few places in Scripture where Paul talks about how he's got a clean conscience before God. There's no blood on his hands. He's innocent. And he's not saying, I've walked around telling people about Jesus, and every one of them became saved. They all repented. They all confessed. They're all Christians. They're all out on the streets telling other people right now. That's not the thing. He went and he told lots of people. He started churches. He was a missionary. He did all this amazing stuff. But not everybody believed. In fact, some of them tried to kill him and chase him from town to town, and he eventually got arrested. And I mean, he had a lot of uh, hardship, and, and, and not everybody he talked to believed. But he's like, I can stand before God knowing that I did my best to tell everyone I was supposed to tell. 
and I can't save him anyways, so I just kind of introduce him to Jesus, and then I can go, and someday I'll look Jesus in the eye, and I'll be able to live with myself that I've done everything I can. He says, I am innocent. There's no blood on my hands because I've not hesitated to share the good news. He didn't have a 100% conversion rate. He couldn't save people anyways, but he was going to tell everybody he had a chance to tell. So actually on this journey where he ends up getting in prison, like he knew his ship gets wrecked, he goes to some weird island and he tells them about Jesus, you know, and then, and then he's with these soldiers who are supposed to like watch over him and make sure he doesn't run away. And he tells them, like, he didn't plan on these places, but as long as he was there, he was going to tell them about Jesus. And he says, I'm innocent. God knows my conscience is clear. I've told everybody I could. I've done my best. I've tried to do it with gentleness and respect. I'm not perfect, but I've done my best. And so when I stand before God, I have a clear conscience because I've done my best. And he'll work in their hearts. He could speak to them, and he has the power to change their life. All I can do is make the connection. Paul says, I have not hesitated. So my question is, why do we hesitate? Because for a lot of us, we know this is one of our purposes in life. We know that we live with this idea of we're called and equipped and sent by Jesus to help other people. And we really want to, but then we don't. A lot of times we just kind of get busy, right? It's not that we hate God or, or, or whatever. It's just like we get distracted. We get overwhelmed with life. We get busy. We're running to soccer practice or we're, you know, work and overtime or whatever it is. And it's just like, or we actually think about it, but we hesitate. Oh, I was going to send her that message. I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. And then I forgot, you know, I don't know if you guys, I always think of texting somebody when I'm driving, and by the time I get to the place, I forgot. And then like a week goes by, I'm like, oh yeah, I was going to tell you, but I, I, I thought of you eight times and I never did it, and then I forgot when I was, uh, but I could have done it, I didn't do it. Like, we hesitate sometimes, I think we're sharing the gospel. Maybe it's because we're, we're scared. Well, what if they don't like that I bring this up? What if I'm the weirdo at work, or in my English class, or on the soccer team, right? Like, uh, what if it, it's not taken well? That, that, I don't want that. I'm, I'm trying to be the good guy here. Or besides being scared, we're just kind of nervous. Maybe you, like me, you just kind of feel the weight of it. You're like, wow, this is a big deal. You know, I could tell you that Arby's curly fries are good. No sweat. You can like them or not. I'm just, you know. But if I start telling you about Jesus, like that's way more important. I, I feel the weight of that. I'm way up here. I'm important. I want to get it right. I don't want to say something wrong or, or misquote a verse or, or not have the end. So we just, we kind of hesitate. And that's exactly what the enemy, the devil, wants us to do is hesitate to not open our mouth, to not send the message, to not share the good news. Like Paul says, my life, it's about one thing, telling more people about Jesus until he calls me home. And what if every single disciple decided that I'm going to use my changed life to affect change in other people's lives? And we just say, I'm not going to hesitate. Paul says, I can stand before God with a clean conscience. I'm innocent. Not everybody I talked to believed, but I talked to everybody I could. That's the goal for us, that we would say, we did not hesitate so we can stand before God, and we will someday. And when he says, what would you do with the life I gave you, with the opportunities I gave you, with the calling I had on your life, we can look at him and say, I did my best. Man, I, I didn't hesitate. I tried to tell people. I tried to do it with gentleness and respect in a way that they would come to know you as their Lord and their Savior. Now, Rick Warren in his book says something, sounds almost offensive, but it's so powerful and so true. Because we don't want to just do this as individuals. We want to do this as individuals everywhere we go. And we want to do this as a church. All these empty seats, I want to see them full. Not so we can say, wow, we're a cool church. We're a big church. We're a growing church. No, but we want to be an effective church. And hopefully we're all meeting people and loving people and introducing them to Jesus. And they love Jesus back. And they come to church and we start filling up seats because more lives are being changed. That's why we want to see more seats here. 
And Rick Warren says this on day 37. The church that doesn't want to grow is saying to the world, you can go to hell. That's an offensive sounding phrase. But really, if we hesitate and we don't tell people about Jesus, and we don't try our hardest like Paul to just tell everybody we can, I can't save you, but I can introduce you to the one who can save you, then we're letting them go to hell because we know the truth is everyone is doomed for hell until they put their faith in Jesus. That phrase, when I read it, really stuck out to me. But I'm like, it's uncomfortable to read and think about, but it's absolutely true. So this is exactly why we started this Morris campus, okay? We started this about a year and a half ago. Uh, most of us went to church in Manuka. It's like a 20-some minute drive for wherever your home is mostly. And, and, uh, and this is a little more convenient. But we didn't do it just because it's more convenient. And we didn't do it because we wanted to like store a whole church worth of stuff in trailers and have to do all that work every time. Like the other, the other campus has its own building and like the lights are up always. They don't kind of go out because we put them up one time every day. We started this campus because we wanted to be more effective and hopefully it would be easier for people to hear the good news and find a good Bible teaching church. I want to show you a couple things. We would have these launch team meetings, right? Maybe you're a part of this. Maybe you've never heard of this. But before we actually came, we talked about it for a long time. We had people that were committed to it. And they said, we're going to go and help. And, and you guys are still doing it, thankfully. But here's what we put on the screen. We kind of said, Here, here's why. Why, why would we even plant a campus? And we said, we're doing this for the people who don't yet know Jesus so they can find forgiveness and freedom and family in Jesus. We believe that we've got the answer. We've got the cure. We want to tell everybody we can. We want to invite them to worship God and, and experience that and ask questions and, and find forgiveness and, and grow in their faith and, and belong and not just believe. That's why we came. You know, specifically for people in and around Morris because some people that you invite, your neighbor, your coworker, they're probably skeptical to begin with, and they'd rather sleep in on Sunday or go get brunch or something. But the deal breaker might just be driving all the way to Manuka, which sounds comical to us, because some of you guys did it for like 15 years before we had a church in Morris. But we want to do everything we can to make it easy for them. We want to give a good answer for our hope with gentleness and respect. And we hope that through the people, the influence of everyone a part of this church, that we'll be effective at this. And then... We started this prayer, and because COVID, we started this church way later, so we prayed this for way more months than we meant to, but I, I believe that God has been answering it. And so maybe this is familiar because you were on that launch team, or maybe you didn't know. If you started coming to this campus since it opened, then you're some of the people we are praying for, and, and that is awesome. And now I want you to join us in praying for the other people who haven't heard yet, because this mission hasn't changed. The reason we're here is to help people know Jesus, just like Paul says, my life it's about one thing, telling more people about Jesus until he calls me home. So here's, here's what we started praying, and I never want to stop praying this. This is exactly what we put on the screen in our launch team meetings. First, we, we were asking that God would grow our heart for the lost, that something would bother us knowing that people don't know Jesus, that, that he would just affect heart change. So it wouldn't not be us just trying to do what we're supposed to do. It would be us driven by a passion that he's put inside of us, and we can keep asking that God for that. Then we asked that God would bring us opportunities and really, it's kind of just that God would open our eyes to the opportunities that are there. Because that same lady in, in the cubicle next to yours has been there forever. He's never thought about it, right? Or, or, or whatever. So God, bring us opportunities. The second thing is um, we ask that God would give us the courage to follow him, to share the good news boldly. And we wanted to do this before we had a Morris campus. It wasn't like, well, once we get there, we'll start doing this. No, no, no. We're still leading our families and living our lives and interacting with people. And so we want to do this always, and even more so now that we get to worship here in Morris, that God would give us that courage because we want to be like Paul and say, I did not hesitate. 
to proclaim the good news. And then the fourth part of this prayer was that God would bless and use us. That we would, we're just a bunch of ordinary people that he can use to do extraordinary things. And, and our heart for these prayers has not changed. I want to close by, by praying through this list. And I, I want you to join me as we pray this. And, and you can take it home and pray it every day. Pray for the person sitting next to you. Pray for me. Pray for us as a, as a body of believers that God would do these things in our hearts and through our lives because this is why we're here. Part of my purpose is to help others live their purpose. Part of your purpose, you know, so the five purposes, you know, to worship God and to grow closer to him and have those, those are for you. But part of your purpose is then to help other people love God back and grow closer to God and find a healthy church to belong to and not just a Jesus to believe in. And part of your purpose is to help other people live out that purpose. Maybe they've never considered it. Maybe they're confused by it. But that's what we get to be a part of, to introduce them to the one who can change their life as well. So as we wrap up today, I would love it if you would just stand for prayer. And I want to go back to this list of prayers. I just want to pray this for each of us as individuals. We do this when we gather, but we do this tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday, everywhere we go, that God would use us whose lives have been changed to reach more people. And like Paul, we would say, I will stand before God proud of the way I lived and the way I did not hesitate to share. And we do so boldly because he says, I'm with you. You can't save them, but I can. So I want to pray this over us, and I hope that you mean it with all your heart, and then we'll go and we'll live it out this week. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church, for this Morris campus. I am humbled to be a part of it. God, in this room we are surrounded by godly men and women, people with great faith, people who serve diligently, people who do try their hardest to reach other people. And so, God, we just want to renew this, this list of prayers, renew our commitment, and renew our request for you to do it through us. We started this campus in your name and for your glory, and we never want to stop realizing that it's for you. And it's only going to happen if you show up. So, God, I pray that you would grow in each of us a heart for the lost, whether that's a family member or a friend or a coworker or a neighbor. God, that our heart would just burn for the people who haven't yet known you, that we would go after them. God, I pray that you would do that in us from the inside out for your glory. I pray that you'd bring us opportunities on Sundays and on Mondays and on Tuesdays, God, in our small group and at work and at school and everywhere we go. I pray that you'd open our eyes to the opportunities that you've called us to not hesitate to proclaim the good news to everybody we get a chance. God, I pray that you'd Give us courage to step into those opportunities. That we would just tell our story. We get to live and share our review of you and your church and your word. And so God, I pray that you would give us boldness to do that. I pray that you'd help us to do it like, like Peter said, with gentleness and respect. And God, I pray that you'd help that message to be effective. That people would see our lives, they would hear our stories, and they would want to come and be a part of this church and a part of your family and God, we just ask, if we could be so, old, so bold, we ask that you would bless us and that you'd use us. God, we pray that you'd give us as much success as we can handle. We don't want to get cocky or arrogant, but we want to see you move and work through us. So God, we pray that these seats would fill. We pray that our kids' ministry would fill, that the parking lot would fill, because we've been effective at sharing the good news and people have received it and put their faith in you and want to belong to your family. So God, we pray that you'd bless us and we would, you would use us. God, we're all ordinary people. 
We can't save anyone, but you promised to do it through us. And you sent us in your name, and you promised to be with us. So God, I pray that you help us live that this week. God, if there's anybody in this room right now that's like, mm, there's an opportunity that's like pinging in my brain ever since you said it. It is a message I've been meaning to send or a conversation I've been meaning to have or a person I've been meaning to pray for. God, I pray that you help us to do that this week and not hesitate. And God, I pray that as we just put ourselves out there, that you would bless us and use us and show up and use our changed lives to change the lives of many more. We thank you for allowing us to be a part of that. I pray that you fill us with joy as we step into it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for being here. Have, Have a great week.